It's good to be back with you again, and we are going to continue our studies in the book of Ruth, so I invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 2. As I've been here regularly, I feel like you're beginning to get to know me, Uh, but uh, one thing that you should also know about me is one of my favorite places in Raleigh is the North Carolina Museum of Art. I love to go to the North Carolina Museum of Art. It's not that far from our house. And the part that I like the most is the outside. If you've been there, you know that there's a lot of trails where they have some uh, exterior displays of art, some uh, statues from Rodin. They have different layouts where you can go and and see different artistic depictions of uh, different things that artists are showing to reflect on beauty and truth. But there's one part that is really interesting, and it's a set of walls that are cinder blocks. And on those cinder block walls are quotes. And those quotes are different things that the artist who put it together was trying to communicate different truths that that they believed we should know and remember and reflect. And I was walking through that section, and I saw one by the French author Jean-Paul Sartre, which says, Hell is other people. I thought that man's an introvert. (laughs) He must not like to be around people that he would say hell is other people. But that kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of wondering what exactly was he trying to communicate with that quote? Hell is other people. And it comes from a play that he wrote called No Exit. And the whole thrust of that play, No Exit, is this idea that we can become trapped by the perceptions of others. That when we think of ourselves as objects of other people's perceptions, that can become, in a sense, a hell for us. And a part of the foundation of his play is the belief that there is no God. There is no greater voice to break that reality that you feel you're trapped in, of other people's perceptions. And so the play actually ends with the characters laughing. Laughing in this absurd sense of we are trapped and there's nothing to break us from this prison. Have you ever felt that sense of being trapped in the way that you view yourself because of how people view you? Naomi in this book, is in a sense feeling that sense of being trapped because she thinks that God views her as an object of his wrath. At the end of last chapter, we saw her tell people, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. She saw herself as the object of God's displeasure, the object of his wrath, And she was trapped in that. How is she going to break out? This passage shows us how God frees her from that prison. Let's pay attention to God's word as we see that unfold from Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother in the native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. That mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she has some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Blessed, uh, besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women lest in another field you would be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. It's right for us to pause and ask his blessings. I'd invite you to pray along with me in your hearts. Father, we do pray your blessing upon this time, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your glory and your goodness through these words. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So how does God break Naomi? 
out of the prison that she felt, that sense that God was not good to her. The way that God does it is by showing his character in this passage. That's the outline today, that God shows his character. But it's important that you understand that that is the point. Because it would be easy to look at this passage and to elevate the character of Boaz and Ruth to the point that that's what we focus on. In fact, when I was in a youth group in high school in my church, this is something that the the girls would sometimes do. They would begin to label the boys as Boazes. They would say, oh, he's a Boaz. And they would do that to say he's got good character, but you knew what they really meant, right? He's cute. I'd like to be his Ruth. It'd be easy to look at this passage and and think that it's about us seeing the character of Boaz or the character of Ruth so that we are called to emulate it. But the point of this passage is not to see the character of Boaz and Ruth, but is ultimately to see the character of God. And the author helps us to see this again, like we saw in the first chapter, by using names. The author throughout the book of Ruth uses names to help point us in the direction that we need to look. And so again, in verse one, it starts by saying, now Naomi. Now just right there, what did Naomi just say? She said, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. But does the author follow her command to call me bitter? No, she still is called Naomi to the author. And right there, the author is saying, her life is pleasant, but she doesn't see it. But throughout this chapter, we're going to begin to see why her name should be pleasant. And so the author is helping us to see that that this chapter is the turning of the page, the turning of the story where Naomi is going to begin to realize the goodness of God. Now, Naomi, it says in verse 1, had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Here again, we hear names as a a way to remind us of the focus we should have. And and again, it mentions the name of Elimelech. If you remember from chapter 1, means that God is king. And the context of this book, as I mentioned last week, was the book of Judges, where everyone did what is right in their own eyes because there was no king. Since there was no righteous ruler, people went after the desires of their heart, and the desires of their heart were evil. There was no king that was restraining them. And the people were not honoring that God should be their king, as Elimelech's name says. That's the context of the book of Ruth. But here in verse 1, we hear of a relative of Naomi's, who the text says was a worthy man. And it's mentioning that aspect of him being a worthy man because it's saying that that Boaz is different. Boaz is not someone who is going after his own heart, but he's a worthy man. His life reflects that truth of Elimelech, that God is his king. Boaz stands out as someone who is not following after his own heart, but God's heart. And we even see that in his name, Boaz. That name, Boaz, means strength. But do you remember the names of Naomi's children? Malon, Killian, weakness, sickness, wasting away. 
That's where the children of Naomi, reflecting in a sense the, the heart of what happens when you flee away from God. But here we see Boaz, a worthy man who is rooted in God and so has strength. The author is using these names to help point us not ultimately to how good Boaz is, but ultimately how Boaz reflects God's character. He is a worthy man who is living out the reality that that God is his king. And so in the way that he lives, he's reflecting that reality. Boaz is an embodiment of God's character. And the hope here that the author wants you to see is, is that this character is what Naomi needed to see. Because what Boaz demonstrates in this passage is God's favor. Look at verse 2. There it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. That word favor is the Hebrew word hin, which can also be translated grace. And that's what Ruth was longing for grace and favor. That's what she knew she needed. They were people who were poor, two widows that had no land, no ability to provide for themselves. They needed someone to look kindly onto them, to show them grace, to show them favor. And Ruth says, let me go out and seek favor. Let me go out and seek grace. We are in need of food. Perhaps we will find favor. That is what they needed, is someone to show them favor. And throughout the Bible, that word favor gives us a reminder of God and his favor, God and his grace. We see this in the way that God says about Noah, that that he found favor. And so he was spared from the flood or the way that he talks about Moses. And when Moses is at the burning of the bush, he found favor in the Lord. And so God spoke to him. God shows up and shows grace to Noah, grace to Abraham, grace to Moses. And it's always described with that word favor. And we see ultimately as talked about in Jeremiah 31 as God reflects upon his treatment of the people of Israel. He says this, the people who survived the sword found favor in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. That word faithfulness there is chesed, a way that describes the nature of God's character. That he is a God who is steadfast in his kindness, steadfast in his faithfulness, that out of his commitment to love his people, he endures in that love. In this passage, Ruth goes out seeking favor. And the author uses that word favor to trigger into your minds that she's seeking the grace of the Lord. She's seeking for his kindness. And we see that the author wants you to understand that everything that we're about to see in the character of Boaz is a reflection of God's grace, God's favor poured out on Ruth. And so she goes out seeking grace, seeking favor in verse 2. But look at verse 3. It says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. 
And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. That phrase happened is not quite catching the Hebrew behind it, which is that she chanced to chance. She chanced to chance. The author there is speaking with irony as a way to help you to show God speaking here, that it was incredibly random that she just would happen to find herself in the perfect place that she needed to be because she knows that the readers would chuckle hearing that. The author knows that those who are hearing this would find that humorous because they know that there is no chance here. And that the reason she happened to end up in the field of Boaz, it wasn't because of Naomi's plan. It wasn't because of Ruth's plan. It wasn't because of Boaz's plan. But it was God's plan. His providence bringing Ruth right to where she needed to be. God was showing his favor to Ruth in the randomness of the field that she picked because his guiding and loving hand was leading her right where she needed to be. God's grace and favor shows up in surprising ways to the people that most need it because the character of God, his hesed is to be steadfast in his kindness, steadfast in his love. Just as Jeremiah reminds us that God's favor, his hin, is rooted in his hesed, his kindness, we see this at work in this passage, that God's favor is being shown to Ruth to show it to Naomi that he had not forgotten her, but was pouring out his grace to her. And so we see glimpses of God's grace, glimpses of his favor in the way that Ruth is greeted by Boaz. And even the fact that, that she goes to Boaz with this idea that, that perhaps I can glean among these fields. And the reason that she would go to his fields to glean is because God built into the fabric of his community the idea of grace, the idea of favor. And so he commanded his people when they were entering into the promised land to, to, if they owned a field, to make sure that they didn't glean every single bit of it, but to leave the corners and the edges of that field so that those who were poor, so that those who were foreigners and didn't have their own land could come and glean from those corners of the field. And so you weren't supposed to get every olive. You weren't supposed to get every plum off the tree. You weren't to get every single piece of grain, but you were to leave the edges. And not only that, you couldn't go through the field once and get what you can and go back to see what you got to miss and pick it up. You had to leave whatever you missed on the ground for the poor, for the foreigners. And what God was doing is he was providing for those who were poor, his grace, he was encouraging and calling and commanding his people to be gracious to those who were poor and needy. But why is it that God wanted them to do that? Deuteronomy 24 tells us. God says to his people, leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. That's Ruth and Naomi, right? Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Why? Because remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I commanded you to do this. God commanded them to leave the edges of the field to provide for people because they at one time were poor. 
They at one time were slaves. And God, out of his loving kindness, showed favor to them and provided for them in their desperate need. And so he calls his people to embody that character. If you understand my character, live it out to those who are around you. If you understand you were poor, but I made you rich, see those who are poor and make them rich too. God calls his people to live out his character. And this is what we see in Boaz, this this worthy man who is reflecting in the way that he lives the reality of God's character. And the way that we see this is the way that, that he first speaks. In the Bible, the first words of a character often give you a glimpse of their character. And so we look at verse 4, and it says, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. Those are the first words on his lips, because that's the first thing in his heart. The Lord be with you. The author is helping us to understand that the character of Boaz isn't just some thing that he has created himself, but it has come because he looks and he studies the character of God so that when he greets his workers, the first thing that he wants to do is bless them by saying, God be with you. Bless them by saying, are you seeing the goodness of God? And how do they respond? The Lord bless you. And what does that tell us about the way that his workers view him? Like some mean boss that's constantly riding them, demanding all that he can to get out of them? No. They see him as a blessing to them. They've experienced Boaz's favor, his grace. And so they rightly respond, and may God be gracious to you who has been gracious to us. We see in the character of Boaz, someone who has studied the character of God to where it is being shown in his life. And this passage continues to unpack this in the way that that Boaz treats Ruth. He treats her with graciousness. He doesn't just kind of meet the bare minimum of the laws like, yeah, you can have the corners of the field, does he? But he actually goes above and beyond what is called to him and says to his workers, basically, hey, if you could drop some extra, go ahead and do that. Let her have that. Give her more than she can actually even harvest. He's exorbitant in her kindness to her, so that the end of this passage tells us that after one day, Ruth had an an ephah, which is 30 pounds worth of flour. This one little woman collected basically two weeks worth of work because Boaz had made sure that favor was being poured out on her. But it isn't even just kind of in an impersonal way, but, but there's a tender graciousness in the way that Boaz treats Ruth in particular. And we see this in the way that throughout this passage, the author points us to the fact that Ruth was a Moabitess. Now, we would have known that from chapter one. Why does she uh, have to have that connection to her name, Ruth the Moabitess, throughout here and in the beginning of this passage? It's because it helps Boaz's grace stand out. Ruth was a foreigner, but not just a foreigner. She was from the tribe of Moab, the people of Moab. That's the the nation who hired Balaam, the prophet, to curse Israel, that it would be destroyed. 
These were the enemies of Israel. And how does Boaz respond to an enemy? He says, come, take bread and dip it into my wine. Come, share with my food. Here's roasted grain. This is for the workers, but you can eat this too. Not just a little bit to make it, but enough till she was full and even had a doggy bag to bring home. Boaz brings her into fellowship who should be an enemy. She should be excluded from the people, but Boaz brings her right into his home, his life, his fellowship. But why does he do this? Because he's a really good guy, yes, but why is he a really good guy? Because he studies God's character. We, as a family, used to spend a lot of time trying to find Waldo. Perhaps you know what I mean, the, the book Where's Waldo, which is this book that's filled with all these little images of people doing kind of bizarre or silly things. And you're supposed to look amongst all those little faces and all those little people to find the character of Waldo. And it was exhausting. And a lot of times we'd struggle to find Waldo. But what I learned is at the bottom of the page, there's a little key that showed you what Waldo looked like in that passage. And, and so if I studied what he looked like on that page, I'd be able to find him more quickly in the midst of the sea of all the pictures that were laid out on the page. You see, that's what Boaz was like. He studied God's character. He studied God's grace. He studied God's hesed and his hin so that when it shows up in front of it, he sees it. And this is what we see in the way that the, the author puts in the middle of this passage, verses 11 and 12. It says, the reason, Boaz says, this is why I've been kind to you. Ruth, falling on her face, bowing to the ground, says, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why have you shown me grace? Because I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth took refuge under God's wings. And Boaz sees that in her. He sees that she's someone who clings to God's grace. And what a beautiful picture that, that Boaz uses, the idea of taking refuge under God's wings in the way that, that a, a little baby bird in the midst of an intense storm would, would nuzzle up close to the breast of its mother so that it could put its strong wing over that little chick and protect it from being blown away. Boaz says, I know that that's what you have done. In the midst of famine and poverty and hardship, you nestled up close to God because you knew you would find grace and favor. Because you, Ruth, I know, see his hesed. You see his loving kindness. And I see that in the way that you are living it out. Boaz says, I know that his character 
is alive in you because I see the way that you have treated Naomi. That's what he says. I see the way that, that you have been chesed, you've been kind in the way that you have dealt with Naomi. And Ruth was kind to Naomi. Ruth sees Naomi's need, and so she goes out and puts herself in danger. She goes out to fields not knowing what she could expect. And even we see this at the end of the passage when Naomi says, don't go anywhere else because you could be assaulted. Ruth puts herself in harm's way so that Naomi can be provided for. And Naomi saw through Ruth God's kindness. And Boaz saw through Ruth someone who understood God's kindness. Boaz is saying to Ruth, I'm being gracious to you because I see you get God's grace. You understand God's grace. And you have been treating Naomi kindly. And I want to treat you kindly too. But this also helps us to see the hero of the story isn't Boaz. The hero of the story isn't Ruth and their character. But the hero is God. Because what we are seeing is God's character playing out in two people for a third. We're seeing God's favor and kindness in the way that Ruth treats Naomi, God's favor and his kindness in the way that Boaz treats Ruth, so that we see God's favor and his kindness in the way that God is treating Naomi. Back in chapter 1 in verse 8 and 9, Naomi was speaking to her daughters-in-law, trying to get rid of them, and she says, Go return each of you to her mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly. May his hesed be on you, as you have dealt kindly, hesed, with the dead and with me. Naomi prayed that God would show Ruth kindness. And what do we see happen in this passage? God answering Naomi's prayer. Her being dealt with kindly. With one who we ultimately will find will be her husband. In whose house she will find Hesed. This passage is God saying to Naomi, I heard your prayer. In your doubts, in your bitterness, I heard your prayer. When you thought I wasn't being kind, when you thought I had abandoned you, I heard your prayer. I'm answering it. Your life is pleasant, Naomi, because I am with you. I am not against you. And Naomi comes to see God's kindness as it's shining out through the character of Ruth and Boaz and the way that through their lives, she's blessed through their efforts, she's taken from famine to feasting. And this is what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a refuge where people come who are poor and they have grace shining into their life. This is supposed to be a place where we embody the character of God that we have seen and known and experienced so that, that all those who are hungry and wondering, will I get what I'm longing for, can come into this community and experience grace. There is a fellow who is an, a pastor, and his name is Francis Grimke. And Francis Grimke was born to a slave and a slave owner. 
And he was born a slave, but he ended up gaining his freedom, going to Princeton Seminary, becoming a pastor of a prominent church in Washington, D.C. And he faithfully served there for the vast majority of his life. But in one of his sermons to the church, he said this, The worth of the church does not depend on the number of its members, but upon their quality. It is what it is doing to develop high Christian character that should most concern us, and the thing which more than anything else determines its value. You know, this church can feel small to you, but that's if you look at its value through the number of its members. But Grimke says we shouldn't look at it that way. We should ask, does this church reflect God's character? The power of the church is not connected to its size, but to its reflection of the character of God. I've seen that in y'all. Reflection of God's grace. It's your name, right? Reflection of God's grace. In the way that you've welcomed me, an outsider, where I feel like I have a family here. And that's powerful. It's what people long for, what people need. That is what determines the quality of a church, is its character. And that character is not a reflection of itself, but that character is a reflection of its God. Who we worship is who we will look like. And that's what we see in Boaz and Ruth, not the exemplary character, but a reflection of the God that they worship. And that's also how we grow in our character, not by trying to reach in and find it out of our will, but to look up and find it in what we worship. That's what Boaz did. He studied God's character. He worshiped God's character. He spoke God's character until it bled out in his life. And that is what we do too. The way that we move to understand God's character and the way that it comes out is by studying it. But how do we see God's favor? It's through Jesus, of course. In fact, Luke chapter 4, as Jesus begins his ministry, do you know what he says? He quotes Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the embodiment of God's favor. Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace. Jesus is God's chesed, his faithfulness, coming real into a person so that through him we don't just hear about his favor, but we see what God's favor looks like in bone, in flesh. So that as Jesus says, through him, God's grace, his favor is proclaimed. So every time we, like Naomi, wonder, are you with us? Are you for us? We look at the one who saw us as his enemies and died for us. So that he could bring us into fellowship with him. Bring us into his family. We even see that in this story that that Jesus is the descendant of Ruth and Boaz, and they give their DNA to Jesus, but Ruth and Boaz ultimately 
are the ones that reflect to us God's character, Jesus' character. They may be his ancestors physically, but he is the one who shapes their character to look like him. Boaz, the man from Bethlehem, who comes and says, the Lord be with you, was the ancestor of the one who was born Emmanuel, God with us in Bethlehem. The point of this passage is to look and to see the character of God displayed. And we get to see it here in Ruth, but we get to see it clearly in the one who would come from Ruth the one whose body was broken, whose blood was poured out, so that he would give us himself to dip into his wine that we might be one with him, showing us grace and favor who are poor, that we might know God's kindness now and forever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your favor that is seen so clearly in our Savior. May we study his character till it flows out of us, and may we always rejoice that you have been good to us. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.